1: to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. Welcome to The Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance, of lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal.
0: We are all on the same team. Know your role and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again.
3: Your defense has got to be better. Leave no We've doubt
0: tonight. Great moments are born from
1: great opportunity. My name is Paul Barnett, and you are listening to The Great Coaches Podcast, where we explore leadership through the lens of high-performance sport by interviewing great coaches to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our teams better. Our great coach on this episode is Billy Walsh, the head coach of the USA boxing team. Billy started boxing at age seven, in a Christian Brothers gym in Wexford, Ireland. He went on to win seven Irish boxing titles, participated in European and World Championships, and represented his country as a welterweight in the 1988 Olympics. He then transitioned into coaching and was appointed Irish head coach in 2003. He was the head coach for 12 years, and from 2008 to 2014, the team won seven Olympic medals, And at that point, it was 25% of all Olympic medals Ireland had ever won in any sport. In 2015, and again in 2016, he won the Amateur International Boxing Association's World Coach of the Year. In 2015, he was appointed Head Coach of USA Boxing and was charged with returning the program to its prior glory. So far this century, only one male and one female boxer has won gold at the Olympics. Despite the fact... That American boxing is the most decorated program in Olympic history, and has produced champions like Cassius Clay, Joe Frazier, George Foreman, Leonard Spinks, and Oscar De La Hoya. Billy is a charismatic and wise coach, the type of person who doesn't shirk responsibility, and with enough experience to keep life's ups and downs in perspective. The parts of our interview that I found most interesting were... Billy's thoughts on working with a psychologist to improve his ability to block out background distractions that did not have any direct impact on his or the team's performance. How high performance is first figuring out what world class looks like by learning from the best, then using that to create an environment where athletes have the psychological, technical, physical, and tactical tools they need to be their best. And building individual plans for each athlete with specific triggers to help them keep calm and focused during the bout. This was an insightful conversation, and I hope you enjoy it as much as Jim and I did.
0: We apologize for the audio interference that happens throughout parts of this interview. The Great Coaches Podcast.
1: Billy Walsh, good evening and welcome to The Great Coaches Podcast.
2: Thank you, Paul. It's a pleasure and an honor.
1: Billy, the honor is all mine, actually. I um, am so excited to talk to you about boxing. It's very close to my heart, as is Ireland, and we'll get into that later on. But could I ask you something really simple to start with? Where are you in the world today, and what have you been up to?
2: I'm actually sitting in my sitting room in Wexford Town, a place called Corish Park, where I have been living since 1987. So I'm in my home place. I got home on Saturday, which is like four or five days ago. I had been with the USA team. We did a, we got out of COVID, well, we didn't get out of COVID, but we got a chance to get out and to to try and uh, compete. So we went to, we went to uh, Spain for a tournament, for the Box Am tournament, and did pretty well. And then we had stayed there for a week for a training camp, and then we went from there to Paris to their Institute of Sport for a training camp, and then from there to Nantes for a competition. And all the team went home last Saturday, to America and I came home to Ireland for a few weeks break. It's the first time I've been home in uh, almost 10 months.
1: Billy, I'm amazed that you agreed to talk to us tonight. So I'm going to try my best to make it an interesting interview. Okay. I'll
2: try and help you if I can.
1: (laughs) I want to start by winding the clock back a little bit because when I was preparing for today, I was looking at some of the people you've had experience with, you know, Mick Dowling, Nicholas Cruz from Cuba and Zao Antia. And there's many, many other great coaches that you've had experience doing. We were just talking a minute ago about Jim Gavin and some of the great uh, GAA coaches. But I want to just ask a really broad question to begin with. And
2: what is it you think great coaches do differently from other people? That's a very good question. Uh, On the the Mick, Mick Dowling, I started as a guy who I looked up to in boxing. I remember as a 14-year-old, when I was going up to my first national championships, my coach introduced me to him. And I was like, starch, starch. Okay. He was like, he was the man at the moment and winning medals at European championships when Ireland weren't winning medals. Yeah, so Mick never actually coached me, but he was always there for advice as I became a, a senior boxer or an elite boxer. And we always, we always had a good relationship. Yeah, Nicholas, I spent five years as his captain uh, of the national team, who was the a great guy who came to Ireland with no English uh, and I think the bad English that he has was the Wexford English that I taught him. <laughs> and, and then Zor Antia was phenomenal uh, find um, to become part of the team. Myself and Zor and Gary Keegan and all the backroom staff that came together to produce those successes for Ireland in 2008 and 2012. It was an unbelievable link to that team and, and his uh, skill and technique and um, absolutely um, pushed the team towards where we needed to be. But what makes a good coach? You know, I think there's there's many, many hats you got to wear uh, to become a good coach. And I think for all those guys that, that i known was, you know, their personality, uh, being able to relate to people and get on with them. And also then you have to have the, the background, the technical, technical awareness of of your sport. And sometimes, you know, being a good relationship builder, I think, and then having having respect of your players, or your athletes, is a key parts of of any coaching setup.
1: Billy, you started boxing. If my research is right, you started boxing as a seven year old at the Christian Brothers Gym in Wexford, and then you went on to represent Ireland at the nineteen eighty eight Olympics, and along the way, winning seven Irish senior titles. But when was it on that journey that you realised you wanted to be a coach?
2: I was fortunate enough to play. Quite a few sports, K-League games in particular, hurling and football and soccer. I made a choice, probably at 18, to leave those other sports because I wanted to go to the Olympic Games. And I never saw myself out of boxing. So it was never a piece where I'm going to retire and then I'm going to give it up. I I always felt I would be some part of my club or to help out in some way because I really enjoyed it. In my early 20s, uh, mid-20s, I felt I was coaching at that time, coaching some of the other athletes, Say the newcomers onto the national team. I was helping them along the way, so it just seemed a natural progression for me. And as soon as I retired from from boxing, I went straight back to the gym as to become a coach, just to help out the club. Never in my wildest dreams did I ever think that I would turn it into my profession. I thought I was going to help out as an amateur in my club three nights a week and a Sunday morning. You know, when it ended up every night of the week and <laughs> a Sunday morning, but yeah. And I never really thought until maybe 2001 the opportunity came to assist Nicholas Cruz uh, for, no, actually it was 1999 for the Sydney, for the Sydney games. I became assistant coach to Nicholas for that period of time working for myself. It was difficult to take time off and to get away because there was no finance for it. And so it was difficult to pay people to work for you and leave a wife at home with three young kids it was difficult, but I loved it that much. And I was, I was honored to do that. And then eventually in 2003, the, the musician came up for head coach in Ireland. And I was fortunate enough to be selected by Gary Keegan to take that role. I want to talk
1: to you about Gary Keegan and why he selected you, but you just said that you loved it so much. Could I ask, what is it you love about it so much?
2: <laughs> I don't know. Um, you know, I uh, and so, you know, for some of the heartbreak that I've had, I probably shouldn't have loved it that much, you know. <laughs> I've had more losses than I've had wins, you know. And I, I just, I don't know what it gave to me. I, I, I don't know. Obviously, from my life as a seven-year-old, it was, it's given me a lot of confidence, you know, self-belief, discipline, structure, you know, all of those things that you need. Um, And it's just the excitement of the game, the challenge of getting into the ring and, one guy is like, he's actually going to try and beat you. He's not going to score a goal or a point on you. He's actually going to try and break your head off, right? And that, that piece, the combat, combative piece um, intrigued me. Uh, and the adrenaline that flew that came with that, you know. Um, so for me, that was, yeah, the buzz of that uh, really excited me. And then to be the best, you know, for me was trying to be the best. And working in circumstances, we didn't probably lend to that as regards working in the job, getting up at six in the morning to go for a run, going to work all day, coming to the gym at nighttime, no sports science and medicine around you, no nutrition. You know, so in hindsight, all of that stuff, you know, if you had had all that stuff, maybe it may, things may have been different, but that desire, that drive to be the best, to be an Olympian uh, and obviously become an Olympic medalist, which never happened, but uh, I tried often enough. <laughs>
1: You may not have been an Olympic medalist, but there was seven Irish championships along the way, so that was some consolation, I guess.
2: Yeah, look at look at every year to become a national champion. I won my first title when I was fourteen, and then, and every year after that for twelve years, I was was champion, uh, which was great. In my in the elite, I, I fought in ten finals in a row, and got and got beaten in three, and won those, won seven of them, which was yeah, it was great. It was fantastic. It was, it was, you know, obviously the start of you, if you're not national champion, you weren't going to be on the national team. So it, it was important to win those. Billy, the success in Irish boxing is just amazing.
1: You know, when you started as head coach of Irish boxing, the team had qualified just one boxer for the 2000 Olympics in Sydney, but in the 12 years following you win seven Olympic medals many, many European titles and world championships. And those seven medals represented at the time, 25% of all Olympic medals Ireland had ever won. Yeah. I'm yeah, really curious. Amazing. What did you do? What 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 did you do when you took over that fueled this result?
2: Well, I think, you know, first of all, as I said, yeah, Gary Keegan was the director. And I came in as a head. He actually, he hired an imposter. He hired me as head coach, but I wasn't the head coach when he, when he hired me. Uh, I think eventually somewhere along the line I became one, but we all learned and grew together. It was a fantastic group of people that Gary put together. Uh, Everybody was eager to learn, had this growth mindset. We were challenging ourselves, come up with a system, come up with, you know, and then people forget when we started, we had success early. You know, we started off going to these targets for ourselves, going to these multi-nation tournaments of winning bronze medals. And we started to achieve that pretty quick. And then the team said, like, this is not, like, we started setting our targets then for gold and silver. So we kept raising the bar. And then we started to achieve that. But going, you're talking about uh, Sydney, but the games after it, which was Athens, where we were in place for 10 months previous to it, we only had one boxer qualified again, which was Andy Lee. And, you know, our heads were called for, you know, (laughs) in the first year. We had gone to the World Championships in Chicago in 2007, and we, we qualified one boxer, which was Paddy Barnes. You know, so our heads were being called for on, on a few occasions. And, you know, I think we always knew that it was the talent was in Ireland. I happened to be part of a, a team, a very talented team, when I was boxing over those 10 years. But, you know, we had no system. We had no structure. We were all in our clubs going to train together a couple of weeks before we went to a, a major championship. You know, all the other top teams in the world were full-time athletes. You know, if we were going to compete at that level, we needed to at least train at that level. And then, of course, it was changing the mindset. You know, from from being being happy to be an Irish champion to now look at look towards becoming a European or a world champion. And so that was the, that was a big change, changing the mindset. You know, as I said to you earlier, the guys were getting on the national team, uh, being national champion, and that was it for the year. You couldn't get them off it. You know, we brought in. A system where, that you know, whoever's performing, we'd have the two and three in the gym with you. And whoever's performing, the better we would select them for tournaments. And we're looking for the best international boxer. And we're not not the best national. So that's how we started. At at the very beginning, there were some issues that we, you know, some of the half the team didn't make it through the first year. Either couldn't stick the intensity or couldn't stick the discipline and the structure that we put around the team. But it it was amazing to see that grow over those over that period, well, I was there 12, 13 years. Uh, For that period of time, it was was amazing to see where I had gone to and actually sit back sometimes, sit back and look at the system operate uh, without you being actually in it, just taking a a stroll around to see everybody doing their job, all the support staff working like clockwork. You know, everything was down to a T. And at the end of the day, it's up to the athlete then to perform. For us, we were creating the the right environment for those athletes to give their best performance.
1: You know, I read a quote where you say, people ask you, they say, Billy, what happened? And you say, high performance happened. What is high performance in a boxing sense?
2: Well, I think it's, first of all, is figuring out what does world-class look like? You know, what does good look like? You know, if you've got a template or a vision in your head, what good looks like for a high-performance boxer, but then you can, obviously map out what needs to be done uh, to get them to that place. And then we went, you know, I I, I probably, I won't be uh, too, too, <laughs> too hard, but we, we, we traveled to some of the worst places in the world um, to have a look at what the best in the world were doing. And, you know, we stole stuff from everybody, you know, and we came back and put it together in an Irish context. What would suit our culture? I remember going to a, uh, to Moscow, a place called Chekhova, which is their training campus. It's about an hour outside Moscow. And at the time we were testing, we actually became a bit anal about testing. We were testing everything. Our guys were on the jump mats, seeing, you know, getting their their vertical jumps. We had their heart rate monitors on them when they were in the ring sparring, seeing what intensities they were getting up to. And the Russians were intrigued with this. And obviously there was was a, a language barrier, but Tsar, who spoke Russian, it was great that we had him, you know, because our connections we never would have got in there, if, only for him. So we said to him, look, okay, if you're interested, what we'll do is we'll wire up two of your boys tomorrow. We put them on the jump mat. One of them was ended up being twice Olympic gold medalist, and the other one was was world champion and Olympic gold medalist. Uh, so we wired up. I said we'll give you the data. So we gave him all the data, but we came back. We came back with their data. It was two a guy who was twice Olympic gold medalist. So it was, it was it was a little bit of the Irish espionage. Yeah. <laughs> it was done. <laughs> they, they didn't realise that we were we were we were pulling one over on them. But anyway, we got away with that. So we so we were getting data from people uh, what the best in the world were doing, and then able to set our intensities and our styles. And then you know you can't beat international training partners, whereas having your number two or number three pushing it isn't good enough because they're not going to get up to that. They're not going to get up to the level or the intensities that someone that you're going to meet in the competition are going to get. So, yeah, we've learned learned a hell of a lot along the way. But if, if that in some way explains some of it, I think then, as I said earlier, is creating that environment where the athletes can perform to their best, giving them all the tools psychologically, physically, technically, tactically, giving them all the tools so they can perform and all the instructions that they can do so. That's been probably what high performance is in any sport. Your
1: Irish program had a good mental skills component that focused on helping people adapt in stressful situations. And I'm really interested to know, how has this helped you when you've been a coach in stressful situations?
2: Yeah, I actually had a conversation with a psychologist the other day in a fun way, but Jerry Hussey was our psychologist. And I was saying to him, you know what? I said, you, do, you did more work with me than you actually did with the team. Because <laughs> <laughs> I thought I needed more help than anybody else. And I think from what the what the guys were learning, you know, as around their own mental health and not only their mental health, but their mental their performance. And um, I was learning as well of simple things like staying in the moment, you know, and learning to control the controllables, all of that sort of stuff, which is, Key to me because, you know, unfortunately, in, in your position as a head coach, um, you know, there's all, all those things going on around the background that may affect what's happening. And unless unless they had, you know, a direct impact on, on improving our performance, I was able to manage it and keep it away from the team and to allow them to perform. And without having, you know, those strong mental health and tips, I think, uh, I wouldn't have been able to do so.
1: Billy, when you collected your first Boxing Coach of the Year award, because there's, of course, been two, you said, I want to dedicate this award to a man that taught me everything, my late father, Liam Walsh. I'd like to ask you, if it's not too personal, what elements from your late father are evident today in your coaching style and philosophy?
2: Yeah, I actually mentioned two people on that. It was very emotional because my dad wasn't Too long had passed and uh, my coach, Eddie Byrne, um, who grew up in in the same street as him, was my coach. I I really dedicated to both of them uh, because he coached me since... My dad never coached me in boxing. He coached me in life. (laughs) He never coached me in boxing. Uh, He was a GEA player. Yeah, so that was both of them I dedicated it to. My dad, just his view on life, you know, obviously... He was, you know, a good disciplinarian, but he was a funny man and he lived life. And this is what you see with me every day, I live life through a life of a lens of having fun and enjoying every moment. So I enjoy every moment today. I always look, you know, I'll always find a funny thing in everything that we do every day. And even in training, because and I, and I always find with boxing because it's such a tough sport and as I say, mentally, it can be very draining and, and, and very tough, but. Let's have as much fun as we can until we have to get really serious. <laughs> and so that's where I really like enjoying what I do. And I think that comes from my late father, Lee.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices I want to talk about tough actually, because in 2013, you were reflecting on the success of the Irish team and you said, and I'm going to quote this back to you if it's okay. You said, our identity was crucial, how we look, how we talk, how we behave. Everything was intended to make us seem like warriors and winners before we entered the ring. And so I wanted to ask you about what I imagine is that very tough walk to the ring, and whether there was any routines that, or, or methods that you used to just help people stay calm and focused in that
2: moment? Well, you know, a lot of the time, and most of the time, I would say all of the time, all of those guys uh, had visualized that walk to the ring. I've had them lie flat on the ground after training sessions, and we talk about being in the dressing room. And we talk. I get them to visualize the warm up. I get to visualize the walk into the ring, the crowd, the expectation, all of that. What we're going to manage. So that that was after many many training sessions. That was what I was planning and what we talked about. They all visualize. That. And on the way out, each of them, I would be whatever their triggers are. Uh, I was speaking to them, whatever their individual. Needs were at that as I felt as we felt at the time, having a conversation with Kenny Egan. I'm telling him corny jokes. You know, uh, <laughs> Ray Moilett, the same thing. You know, Ray said to me, "Tell me, tell me a joke. Uh, tell me that joke. Tell me the joke." He said, "When I get to the ringside, okay." So the joke was, "You hear about the the two mice that lives in the tire?" He said, "They got a puncture. Now, now they live in the flat, right?" So. <laughs> And he used to break his heart laughing. It was the most stupidest joke in the world. But I had to tell him that every time he got to the ring ringside, <laughs> and that, that was his, his trigger to go, go to work. <laughs> so uh, there were some funny things he had to do. To, you know. But that was, it was individually tailored towards each boxer as we went to the ring. And then, as I said to you, all of them, I would lay them down. We'd, we'd go through visualization. Being at the Olympic Games, the crowd the lights, the cameras, you know, all of that stuff. Uh, so to they, get their heart rate up, they, you know, they could visualize what it was going to be like. So then when it happened, they knew what they expect. And we did it, We did a brilliant thing. Jerry Hussey did a brilliant thing in, in London. When we walked out in London, the crowd, the noise of the crowd was unbelievable, right? We were taken aback. We are behind the curtain. And in the red corner, John, John, Evan, right? And he op- they opened the curtain and the whole place went ballistic, right? we couldn't believe it and he got into the ring and for the first round and a half, his head was in the audience. He was looking out to the crowd. He wasn't even, he was far the guy from Denmark who he should be, but the fight was, your man was level up for the first round. I'm tuning him in the corner. I said, what the hell are you doing? Get your head back in the ring here. So Jerry recorded it Got all the team together that night and we played it and we showed him that, you know, let's keep our focus. When we go in there, this crowd is going to distract you because the noise was phenomenal. And there was a, there was a massive big crowd there and just to keep that, as you say, walk to the ring, to keep them in focus for what their task was ahead.
1: So you leave Ireland, Billy, let's move on. Let's get to the USA. <laughs> you get over there. I'm, I'm actually, I don't want to really go into the reasons why you left Ireland and went to the USA. I think that's been reported enough. So yeah. you get to the USA, you look around and your first comment is, where is Team USA? There's a brand, but there's no team. They trained all over the place. They had their own coaches. The whole thing was quite disorganized. And so I'm really intrigued to know what were the first things you did to pull that team together?
2: You know, the first thing really, you know, you set out your stall, you know, and, and said to them, you know, here's, here's where the vision is, you know, for this team. We want to be Team USA, right? There's no I in team all of that cliches. I went through all of those. I said, we're here to be a team. I know we, we want to be one of the best teams in this games. And that them all together, we're training at this time and we're training at this time. And if everybody is not here 15 minutes beforehand, you're late. Right? So, we started that off. We had a couple fell by the wayside and we've had a serious talk after maybe a month or two with a couple of the athletes, Clarissa. Clarissa Shields, which is probably well-documented, and Shakur, Stevenson, So, and then eventually we, they got the message and we started to train together as a team and started to work together as a team. And said so you, you, you can't do this on your own. And all of them coming from probably professional gyms where it's all professional boxing oriented, which is very much singular and on your own. But my belief was we, we're a team, and without every part of this team, you're not going to achieve the goal that you want to achieve if we're not all working together. So that's been a big piece of building that Team USA brand again. And giving them the sight of or the vision of Olympic Games, because USA Boxing had gone away from the, most of them were working on becoming a world professional champion, instead of using the Olympic Games as a learning curve and also a platform to launch their professional career. You know, so. I was selling that to them. You know, you, you're going to get, you're going to fight the toughest guys from all over the world. Anyone that represents your country is the best in that country. And you know, it's not like you're going to, have to pick a bum a month as a pro. You're going to fight the best from that, and you're going to be tested every time you go out, and you're going to be in the hostile environments all over the world. And that'll stand you in good stead as you go out and become a professional. There's nothing should phase you after that. So that was my main focus at that time. The biggest problem was uh, nobody could understand my Wexford accent. <laughs> I'd line them all up and I say, "You all get that?" And they all go, "They go." I thought we were supposed to speak English, That's right? <laughs> Do we not speak the same language? Come on! So, <laughs> so I had to learn to slow down a bit and uh, explain myself a little bit better. But <laughs> anyway,
1: Billy, I've never boxed. I am a huge fan, obviously, but I've never. And what I don't understand is why is a team ethos so important when ultimately it's a single individual that stands in the ring and has to deal with the opponent that's in front of them.
2: And again, as I say to you, it's very difficult to do it on your own. You need a team around you. You need a team to work with. You need sparring partners. And also for me, obviously I was with Ireland for 10 years as I said, five of those I was captain. And we had a great team bond. And those, some of those guys that are on that team are still my best mates. And it's something that I've always cherished, having that teammate to be able to bounce things off of that are going through the same motions, emotions that you're going through. Uh, some difficulties, you know, so someone that you can chat with to help you get your best performance. You know, and as I said to you, it is Team USA. We're going to go under the same banner. The same flag, you know and when all the you know all the victories are counted and all the losses are counted, our team will then be recognized at whatever level they're going to be at in that tournament so everybody within that team by winning a fight or winning two fights or winning five fights adds to the score of the team uh, as we strive to be one of the best teams in the world.
1: you talked about the Wexford accent a minute ago and you were joking, but what I'd love to know as a interested bystander is when the when they're in the heat of battle and the bell rings and it's the end of the round and the boxer comes back to the corner, how do you structure your communication so that it's simple and easy enough to follow so that the boxer can understand it and take action on it?
2: Yeah. And it's really very, very simple. There's one or two things that they need to do. You don't need to overcomplicate it. You let them calm down, try and bring their heart rate down first. And then we get to the pitch of where we're going. What needs to be done? It's one, maybe two things. That's maximum. I keep it very clear. Then I ask for feedback. Do you understand what I'm saying? What are we to do? Get them to repeat it, and then give them some water. Get them back in. Get them back into the ring. So it's pretty simple. Uh, it's pretty direct. Uh, as we see what's happening in the fight in front of us, we're trying to judge the fight as well as what way the judges are saying it. Uh, which is sometimes very, very difficult because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, it's hard to believe sometimes what they're saying. But yeah, so we're trying to give, are we winning? Are we losing? What do we need to do this round? And in amateur boxing, you know, you got those three rounds, right? And it's so fast, right? And the intensity is so high. And There's a well-known fact out there, 80% of the guys that win the first round win the contest in amateur boxing. So if we're not on the ball from the first round, you know, and then you got to maintain it for the second round because if you lose, then you're, then you're all down to the last round, you know? So it's, yeah, it is a high tense and a high tension sport for those three rounds. As I say, it's, it's, it's a nine minute sprint. So we tested our guys are up in their heart rate is from when the bell goes to the last round uh, for nine minutes. It's, we did, it was 93, between 93 and hundred percent max for the full duration of the nine minutes. So that is a nine minute sprint. So you're sprinting for nine minutes, so that's pretty high and you got to have a pretty good engine uh, to work at that, that intensity.
1: I love this quote from you, Billy. You say, you teach one boxer, you teach one boxer. You teach one coach, you teach a 100 boxers. And I'm sorry to keep reading quotes back to you, but this is a, this one that quite resonated with me. And I wanted to ask, how are you trying to change the situation in America by, by this education program that you're helping to put in place?
2: Yeah, so that was you know, you look at when I got here. I'm trying to look at, you know, I'm not sure how long I was going to be here, uh, but I'm I'm looking at doing doing my best job that I can do for USA boxing, and what will your legacy be? So I wanted to leave uh, some legacy whenever the day comes that I leave, if I ever do, right? And for me, you know, and we had similar situations in Ireland, and there's no one perfect, no system perfect, but. We're coming in, and some of the guys they didn't have the basic fundamentals. And when they when they become adults, it is very difficult if they're been taught wrongly or improperly at an early age. It's very hard to change that if they've been doing it for so long. So that's where my focus went. You know, we got Chad Weigel became our coaching coordinator, uh, and has done a really good job of pulling together all the pieces. And we sat together. And pull together the, f- the four different levels of coaching. Coaching had not been touched in the USA since 1984, when they were kingpins of the world. And un- unfortunately, it had then gone on the decline after the 80s. So we've now got a system up and running. It's only up and running. Uh, we're onto the silver level. We got a green level, which was to get into it. Then they got a bronze level. Then they got a silver level. And they're going to have a gold level. Uh, and we're, we're onto the silver level at this stage. So what I'm hoping to come out of that then, obviously, the next generation of kids will have the sound uh, fundamentals uh, for Olympic style boxing, where they're not so much focused on professional boxing.
1: And it's an amazing legacy, isn't it? Spinks, Cassius Clay, De La yeah. Hoya, you know—the list goes. George Foreman, goes on the list around. just goes on, and Joe Frazier, the list goes on, Roy and
2: Jones. You got, you got, yeah. it has got so so many, so many of their world professional champions that became stars all came through their Olympic program.
1: Mike Tyson, uh, and the other one.
2: Yeah. Mike Tyson was, on it, you know, he didn't make the team.
1: That's right,
2: yeah. Uh, yeah, he didn't make the Olympic team. He got beat Yeah, uh, but he was 17 or 18 at the time, but yeah, so, and that's where we would like to be with the team, you know. We do, you know, we understand that they are going to go on to the professional ranks, but we like to keep them for at least an Olympic cycle, you know, um, and then obviously then become a good alumni of, USA Boxing and we send them off for good wishes and good that we can help them whenever we can and at the moment we've been bringing some of the guys that have been in the program that are now professional we've brought those back in uh, for sparring and stuff and uh, they work to work with it within the squad and help the squad which was a different attitude before I was there Billy I I
1: don't I didn't want to go into this interview by talking about all the great boxes you've coached, because I think that would be unfair to get you to compare them. But there is two boxes that you've been involved with that have, <clears throat> they've captured the imagination. I think of people all around the world. And I'm, I'm talking about Katie Taylor of Ireland and Clarissa Shields of the USA. And they're amazing athletes. They're amazing representatives of their sport and they're great role models. But I wanted to ask you as their coach, do you have a different way of coaching these super elite boxers that is different from everybody else?
2: Uh, Not really. I think the same principles apply. Discipline, structure, you know, obviously each individual have their own things that we need to work on. But in general, they're part of the team, they train with the team, they work out with the team, they help the team. Yeah, they come and shout for their teammates. You know, they do all the same things that all the rest of the team would do as part of Team USA. Um, what's, that's what ex- is expected of them. And yes, in different times, you have different communications with them because of maybe where they're at on their level. Uh, but other than that, you know, there's nobody bigger than the team and they will be treated equally. And, you know, I have to say both of them are two players uh, legends legends in the game at this stage of female boxing and, and Katie was probably the, the, the torch carrier for many many years for women boxing and she's an absolute legend in, in her stature and in obviously not only with her boxing skills but as a person and you know Clarissa then again you know I never seen anybody that was ever going to beat her she never believed anyone was going to beat her And maybe that will be, hopefully that will be the case since she finished her career.
1: Billy, you've been really generous for your time. I don't want to hold you up much longer, but I do want to ask you one last question if I could. And it's another quote actually, because I was preparing for today and I found this great quote from Michaela Mayer, who's now turned professional and I know she's left your program. But she said, when she was talking about you, she said, quote, there's just something about him, the way he talks to you, that demands your respect. You want to impress him. You want to make him proud, which leads me to ask Billy, what's the legacy that you want to leave as a coach?
2: Well, that's a difficult question. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't thought that far ahead, but I don't know. Actually, Michaela lives in Colorado Springs and she moved there and she comes in and trains with us when we have camps to help out, help out the next generation. Um, what would my legacy would be, I think, it's just the fact that I've I've left the place in a better place and better state than I found it. I left, you know, or put USA boxing back on track to be one of the best nations in the world in amateur boxing, which I always felt it should be. So really that'll be my legacy, you know, that I left the place in a better place than I found it.
1: Billy, I wanna thank you so much for your time tonight. Just such a special experience for me to chat with you. As a proud Irish passport holder, I'm always happy to talk to Irish coaches because it makes my mum proud. So thank you very much for your time tonight. It's been great chatting. Paul, it's,
2: it's been a pleasure, Paul. Thank you.
0: The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi, everyone. It's Jim here. You've been listening to our discussion with boxing's Billy Walsh. The key highlights for me were how even though boxing is an individual sport, you need a team around you to help you spar and train and that this team helps you work through the motions and emotions you have as a boxer and that as a coach, your role is to set up the environment where people understand the vision and then adjust their mindset so that they are not satisfied with present performance. I hope you enjoyed it as much as Paul and I did. Coming up next on The Great Coaches Podcast, we'll be speaking to the head coach of Netball South Africa, Dorette Badenhurst.
3: I grew up in a um, home where family is very important. So my dad is um, a person that he's for people. He just loves to be between people. He loves his sport. He loves his coaching. And from a very young age, um, I coached tennis with him. And he was a coach that um, actually and started helping the beginners and when they were at a certain stage he will send them to better coaches or coaches that will work with the more experienced players and um, for some reason my dad always gave me the beginner beginner players and i just enjoyed seeing the change that you can make in that player from a very very young age and my dad was just that motivation for me and sometimes you think no, I'm too busy at school, I'm too busy with this. And he will say, if you start something, you will finish And that. And I've always learned from my dad that with sport, your name is so important. You can't, um, if you do something and that is bad against your name, that will go forever with you.
0: And just before we go, coaches are not usually the type of people who seek the spotlight. And so if you can put us in contact with a great coach that you know has a unique story to share, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us using the details in the show notes.